0: From the minute I heard of Millie's disappearance, I never believed she went off of her own free will. I knew Millie, and I knew she couldn't have done that. I stayed at home a while, trying to make Frank Earn talk. But if he knowed anything, then he wouldn't tell it. So I set out to find Millie. And I tried to get on the trail of that proselyter. I knew if I ever struck a town he'd visited that I'd get a trail. I knew too that nothing short of hell would stop his proselytin. And I rode from town to town. I had a blind faith that something was going in me. And as the weeks and months went by I growed into a strange sort of a man, I guess. Anyway, people were afraid of me. Two years after that, way over in a corner of Texas, I struck a town where my man had been. He'd just left. People said he came to that town without a woman. I back trailed my man through Arkansas and Mississippi, and the old trail got hot again in Texas. I found the town where he first went after leaving home. And here I got track of Millie. I found a cabin where she had given birth to her baby. There was no way to tell whether she'd been kept a prisoner or not. The feller who owned the place was a mean, silent sort of a skunk and as I was leavin' I just took a chance and left my mark on him. Then I went home again. It was to find I hadn't any home, no more. Father had been dead a year. Frank Earn still lived in the house where Millie had left him. I stayed with him a while, and I grew old watchin' him. His farm had gone to weed, his cattle had strayed or been rustled, his house weathered till it wouldn't keep out rain nor wind and Frank sat on the porch and whittled sticks, and day by day wasted away. There was times when he ranted about like a crazy man, but mostly he was always sittin' and starin' with eyes that made a man curse. I figured Frank had a secret fear that I needed to know. And when I told him I'd trailed Millie for near three years and had got trace of her, and saw where she'd had her baby, I thought he would drop dead at my feet and when he'd come round more natural like he begged me to give up the trail. But he wouldn't explain. So I let him alone and watched him day and night. And I found there was one thing still precious to him, and it was a little drawer where he kept his papers. This was in the room where he slept. And it appeared he seldom slept. But after being patient I got the contents of that drawer and found two letters from Millie. One was a long letter written a few months after her disappearance. She had been bound and gagged and dragged away from her home by three men, and she named them Hurd, Metzger, Slack. They were strangers to her. She was taken to the little town where I found trace of her two years after. But she didn't send the letter from that town. There she was penned in. Paired that the proselytes, who had, of course, come on the scene— was not running any risks of losing her. She went on to say that for a time she was out of her head and when she got right again all that kept her alive was the baby. It was a beautiful baby, she said, and all she thought and dreamed of was somehow to get baby back to its father and then she'd thankfully lay down and die. And the letter ended abrupt, in the middle of a sentence and it wasn't signed. The second letter was written more than two years after the first. It was from Salt Lake City. It simply said that Millie had heard her brother was on her trail. She asked Frank to tell her brother to give up the search, because if he didn't, she would suffer in a way too horrible to tell. She didn't beg. She just stated a fact and made the simple request. And she ended that letter by saying she would soon leave Salt Lake City with the man she had come to love, and would never be heard of again. I recognized Millie's handwritten, and I recognized her way of putting things. But that second letter told me of some great change in her. Ponderin' over it, I felt at last she'd either come to love that feller in his religion, or some terrible fear made her lie and say so. I couldn't be sure which. But, of course, I meant to find out. I'll say here, if I'd known Mormons then as I do now I'd left Millie to her fate. For Meb she was right about what she'd suffer if I kept on her trail. But I was young and wild them days. First I went to the town where she'd first been taken, and I went to the place where she'd been kept. I got that skunk who owned the place, and took him out in the woods, and made him tell all he knowed. That wasn't much as to length, but it was pure hell's fire in substance. This time I left him some incapacitated for any more skunk work short of hell. Then I hit the trail for Utah. That was fourteen years ago. I saw the incumben of most of the Mormons. It was a wild country and a wild time. I rode from town to town, village to village, ranch to ranch, camp to camp. I never stayed long in one place. I never had but one idea. I never rested. For years went by, and I knowed every trail in northern Utah. I kept on and as time went by, and I'd begun to grow old in my search, I had firmer, blinder faith in whatever was going in me. Once I read about a feller who sailed the seven seas and traveled the world, and he had a story to tell, and whenever he seen the man to whom he must tell that story he knowed him on sight. I was like that only I had a question to ask. And always I knew the man of whom I must ask. So I never really lost the trail, though for many years it was the dimmest trail ever followed by any man. Then come a change in my luck. Along in central Utah I rounded up herd, and I whispered something in his ear, and watched his face, and then throwed a gun against his bowels. And he died with his teeth so tight shut I couldn't have pried them open with a knife. Slack and Metzger that same year both heard me whisper the same question, and neither would they speak a word when they lay dying. Long before I'd learned, no man of this breed or class or God knows what would give up any secrets. I had to see in a man's fear of death the connections with Millie Earn's fate. And as the years passed at long intervals, I would find such a man. So as I drifted on the long trail down into southern Utah, my name preceded me, and I had to meet a people prepared for me, and ready with guns. They made me a gun man. And that suited me. In all this time, signs of the proselyter, and the giant with the blue ice eyes and the gold beard seemed to fade dimmer out of the trail. Only twice in ten years did I find a trace of that mysterious man, who had visited the proselyter at my home village. What he had to do with Milly's fate was beyond all hope for me to learn, unless my Gaden spirit led me to him. As for the other man, I knew as sure as I breathed and the stars shone and the wind blew that I'd meet him some day. Eighteen years, I've been on the trail, and it led me to the last lonely villages of the Utah border. Eighteen years, I feel pretty old now. I was only twenty when I hit that trail. Well, as I told you, back here away's ways a Gentile said Jane Withers teen could tell me about Millie Ern and show me her grave. The low voice ceased, and Lassiter slowly turned his sombrero round and round, and appeared to be counting the silver ornaments on the band. Jane, leaning toward him, sat as if petrified, listening intently, waiting to hear more. She could have shrieked, but power of tongue and lips were denied her. She saw only this sad, gray, passion-worn man, and she heard only the faint rustling of the leaves. Well, I came to Cottonwoods, went on Lassiter, and you showed me Millie's grave. And though your teeth have been shut tighter in them of all the dead men lying back along that trail, just the same you told me the secret I've lived these eighteen years to hear. Jane, I said you'd tell me without ever me a skin. I didn't need to ask my question here. The day, you remember, when that fat party throwed a gun on me in your court, and Oh, hush, whispered Jane, blindly holding up her hands. I seen in your face that Dyer, now a bishop, was the proselyter who ruined Millie Earn. For an instant Jane Witherstein's brain was a whirling chaos, and she recovered to find herself grasping at Lassiter like one drowning and as if by a lightning stroke she sprang from her dull apathy into exquisite torture. It's a lie. Lassiter. No, no, she moaned. I swear you're wrong. Stop. You'd perjure yourself. But I'll spare you that. You poor woman. Still blind. Still faithful. Listen. I know. Let that settle it. And I give up my purpose. What is it you say? I give up my purpose. I've come to see and feel differently. I can't help poor Millie. And I've outgrowed revenge. I've come to see I can be no judge for men. I can't kill a man just for hate. Hate ain't the same with me since I loved you and little Faye.